Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Welcome to From the Kitchen Table. I'm Sean Duffy along with my co-host for the podcast, my partner in life, and she's my wife too, Rachel Campos Duffy. Hi, Rachel. Sean, it's so good to be back. And you know, we love Q&A and it's kind of the Christmas season. So it's a mishmash of viewer, listener questions that are sort of non-Christmas and then Christmas. Yes. So why don't we start with one of the Christmas ones mm-hmm. to get into the Christmas spirit because we are definitely getting into the Christmas spirit here at home. I'm almost all done with decorating. I take it like in stages. It's taken me about two weeks of like little by little getting you to help me, but we're getting there. We, we have taken it in stages and yeah, it's interesting. I get stuck doing a lot of the, what I think sometimes is, sometimes is frivolous. Sometimes I'm like, do you really have to do that? But well, it's I've, outdoor I've, work I can't reach, or it's too cold for me to do it. Or the inside, too. But I'm, all I'm saying is, after 25 years of marriage, I've figured it is just easier to do it. Just Stop say yes. Just say yes. <laughs> so great. And get it over with. And our Christmas decorations have gone a lot better than prior years because I'm so compliant. Yeah. But, but can I tell you, that's actually, that's so interesting that you say that because when we talk about marriage, we've often talked about how being married for a long time, it like things get easier. Like we talked over Thanksgiving about how we just kind of over years, we kind of know how to do Thanksgiving now. And it just, there's an operation. There's, we know what we have to do. We have all the right equipment that we've bought over the years to do it right. And the, the right dishes, the right pans, but over the years, certain things get better. We've even talked about, how you learn how to fight more fairly or you learn how to like let things go or you know i noticed this the other day you and i got in a big fight this is my way of avoiding the fight yeah this is it's not worth it or i lose in the long run anyway i'm gonna do it no matter what why complain about it why fight about it so i'm like okay fine i'll just you're making it sound like it's all about you (laughs) giving in that's not true the other day we got in a fight we got in an argument and then We've learned to quickly resolve things that, you know, like you said, sometimes you just go, they're not as, as worth it. And it in my case, in this one, I was like, okay, let's just talk about this. Let's not let this fester and ruin the whole day. We just had this argument. You were in the car. I think we were arguing on the phone. I was home. And then when, when you got I'm home, it could have, well, I know it just happens. You, I, I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so you got home and we were kind of giving each other the silent treatment for just a little bit. And then I was like, let's not screw this whole day up. Okay. Let's just stop. Let's just talk about this. And we worked through it. And then we I went back to doing the, what we had to do with some chores that we had so to do around the house. Can't, can't but, 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 but wait. With going back to the Christmas decorating, which is that over the years, now you know this is not worth a fight. You know you're going to end up having to do it at some point to hang this thing outside that I can't reach, that I really want up because it's going to make me happy and it's too cold for me or too dangerous for me to climb up or I'm too short and I can't reach it. So you're just going to do all the outdoor stuff. And and that's At just the way it's going to be. Sometimes I disagree with the direction that I get outside and how I'm supposed to do it. But I just because I, I do it because I believe I there up? is beauty in symmetry, Sean. And so if you're going to hang the garland over the door, it's got to be symmetrical. And so we've argued about it in the past. It'd be like, it doesn't matter, Rachel. We have an that's argument about that. Now you just go, 
How many inches okay. over do you want it, honey? So can I tell you this? What I, so the, so d- doing our Christmas tree, normally uh, for the last, I think our whole marriage, we have cut down our Christmas tree. We have always so cut down this year, tree. the place we, again, in Wisconsin, it's easy to cut down our Christmas tree. We came to New Jersey and we have found a place we can cut a Christmas tree down. This year, we went not the weekend, the weekend after Thanksgiving, we went the first weekend of Advent, which was last weekend. And the place we cut our tree down, they were closed, right? They're like, we sold all our trees. So we couldn't cut one down. We went and bought one. Which was really weird after 24 weird. years of cutting trees, down. cutting a tree on the 25th year. And we had a little, we had a little, not a fight, an argument like Rachel, there was a beautiful, tall, blue, it was a beautiful tree. It was expensive. And I'm like, yeah, it's too tall for the house. Yeah. And so I knew it would fit. I got us. We got a little smaller, fatter. Still, it's 12 feet high. It's still, it's a big tree. This other one was like 17 feet. It would have right? fit. And it would have fit. Because uh, we had a vaulted ceiling. I should have. Exactly where the tree goes. Ceiling. So it'll go in. So we got the shorter one. We should have got the larger one and just paid the money. I didn't want to spend the money on, uh, on that much for the tree. But then the question became, what kind of lights do you put on them? And so we've, we've done all, we've done colored, we've done just white, we've done white and colored. And I wanted to use colored this year. And you're like, no, we're going to do white because the tree's too short and fat and stumpy. That's yeah. 12 feet, by the way. I lo- I, but I'm a colored light person, but on this tree, it just wasn't going to work. And I disagree. And I just said, fine. By the way, I put on, I put on the colored ones. And then I had to take them off and put on the white ones. And I just learned, don't do, I don't want to do it twice. Fine, I'll do the white ones. So I can see it again. But it's, but it's, but the tree's coming along. We haven't, we got to get the decorations on this weekend. Yeah, we wanted to do that. And I would agree with you. That's fine. You do have a better eye than I do. And once it's all done, I do appreciate all that, all of your insight and vision. Because I like the way my house looks after you have crafted where you want to put all this different stuff and have me do it. And I love, I love, I love decorating. I love Christmas. I will trust you to cut down the tree and you can trust me on how the decorations should go up. Um, But that is one of the beauties of being married for a long time. You just start to know each other so well and know what, what ticks and what, what, what little landmines to avoid. But that really wasn't our topic, though, was it? It wasn't, <laughs> but we kind of got up on that. Okay, so when there's a lot of debate about when is the right time to start playing Christmas music. Obviously, everybody right now is, is playing Christmas music, of course. But there are some people that start playing it as, on Thanksgiving and other people who wait till Advent. And some people start right after Halloween. Yeah, and so um, and just through the course of our marriage, Rachel likes to be able to have the Christmas music play all day and all night. And so you wake up to Christmas music and I in Wisconsin, Christmas. I bought one of those sound bars and I'm like, this is good. I bought a couple sound bars trying to get it to work where we could play it all the time on our phone. I, here in New Jersey, we have a system that it does play all the time, but the system went down and it was cutting, it would play a minute of music and then it would cut out for a, for like 10 seconds. Thanks Sonos. But <laughs> I got that resolved. So music's now not we're playing. Happy. But I think right after Thanksgiving, the weekend after Thanksgiving. Yeah, I do too. And it's not Advent, but it's still, we're like, you know what? Thanksgiving's, Thanksgiving's over, over and now Christmas music. Okay. We agree on yeah. that one. Yeah. Um, someone know your favorite Christmas movie? Um, I, there's a whole, I, I like a lot of them. So if I'm in, so like, give me your top three. So I like Elf. We put the Christmas tree up last weekend, and we watched Elf through the process. And we laughed like we watched it the first time. It's hilarious. <laughs> so good. Um, right after Thanksgiving, though, the first Christmas music uh, movie we watched was um, White Christmas. Which, by the way, I complained about White Christmas. Rachel always wanted to watch it. I was like, this is horrible. Until I actually finally sat down, probably on year five or six of our marriage, and I watched it. The whole thing. I love White Christmas. It's so good. So fun. So fun. Um, and do, what's my third one? Um, oh, well, It's a Wonderful Life, probably, Sean. It's a Wonderful... Is that... Do we, yeah, this, I usually Christmas, kind of think of that as New Year's, but yeah, but it it's a Christmas. Christmas movie. It is a Christmas movie. And then after my... If I had a fourth one, I'd pick Die Hard. Die Hard is the fourth favorite Christmas movie. <laughs> Proof he's still a man. Um, I would say movie, right? White Christmas, It's a Wonderful Life, um, and Miracle on 34th Street. Which, yeah, which I, I love that. The, that. the new one with the little... The little... I, I liked them all, but Dylan Mulvaney is... Yeah. I, I like the original, the black and white one. Um, I believe with Shirley Temple. Wonderful. Beautiful. Uh, Dylan Mulvaney. Dylan 
McDermott. McDermott. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, my gosh. That is hilarious. With Dylan McDermott. Uh, not Dylan Mulvaney, <laughs> the trans man. But that's coming next Christmas, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but uh, with Dylan McDermott, who is just so dreamy in that movie. And I always get so mad because the, the, the female character rejects him so much. And everyone's so like, why? He's so cute. He wants to marry you. Um, so anyway, uh, that's that. Those are my three favorite movies. Um, Here's an interesting question, non-Christmas related. What is your best parenting hack? Oh, that's a good one. That's a, that's a great question for you to answer first. I'm going to start because I did think about this hey, one. And it's actually easy. My, the best parenting hack I have is hmm. to buy a round table. I am obsessed with round tables. I'm going to lay out why I think round tables are so important for families. Now, we have in our home one round table in our kitchen area where we all sit, and that's where we have our, our main our meals every day. Um, we also have a very long oval table that seats 12. You know, it's hard to get a, a round one in that space. It's, so, it's, it's, and it's probably impossible to find a 12-seated round table these days um, it's pretty hard to find but i have a a long oval table in the formal dining room but the main table that we eat at every day is a round table and i like round because round first of all encourages conversation and encourages everybody to converse um it also is an equalizer right so the Dad doesn't have a better position than the littlest child in that. So it's an equalizing conversation. It, it doesn't have like that formality. You know, when you sit in the formal dining room, Sean, you're at the head of the table and that's your like, I'm yeah. the dad. I'm the patriarchy. The patriarchy. The round one is very equalizing, especially among siblings who are, you know, we have such a range, you know, from 24 to four. And so sometimes, you know, it could be easy for older kids to dominate and the, the equalizing effect of that is good. I also like it because, as you know, Sean, the biggest fights in our family often, um, well, the biggest fights are about what movie to watch on movie True. night. Um, or Monopoly has caused a lot of a big, lot of a lot of big fights. fights. Um, but that's what capitalism does, right? <laughs> right. Capitalism. Um, but... Uh, the other fight is who gets to sit next to who or who gets to sit next to mom. And if there's something about when you're in a round table, it doesn't really matter if you're on my right or my left, if you're in front of me or I just feel like it cuts down on the fights about who sits where because everyone's sort of equal around. And there's just something beautiful about seeing everybody in one shot like that around the table. I, I think if you were, if, if you're planning on having a family, if you have a family, especially if you have a big family, the investment in a round dining room table or round kitchen table is a wonderful investment. It is my greatest um, parenting hack because as you know, Sean, I believe that eating around the table, the dinner is probably the most outside of family prayers is the most important um, event that happens in a family. Okay. So just a couple points on that. So when we were in Wisconsin, mm -hmm. we didn't, when we started to have more kids, we didn't have a round table. And actually I remember in the Wausau house, we had a round we, table in the, in the, um, in the formal living room. We though. never ate around that. Did we? We did. Did Sometimes. we? Okay. Uh, well, normally, but you wanted a round one in the kitchen. I did want one ate. in the kitchen. I would, and so and we, one, but one wouldn't fit. It did not fit. So, and we kind of had a little spat about that, but we got a long, we had a big, uh, like a farm table there where we all sat around it. Um, but this, we have a table now that's big enough that not everyone can sit around, but when the older kids are gone and the little ones are still here. Oh, we crammed them in, though. We we did that over Thanksgiving when we had them all in. We crammed some of the white chairs in there. We can all sit around there. and have coffee. Yeah, because there's have a dinner. bench have... also on one side, so you can kind of cram more kids in. And when they were all there, and actually, that's the moment I loved the best. When we crammed the chairs in and everyone filled up that bench, that, that upholstered bench that we have in the back of that um, on part around part of that, that round table. It is so fun. And the conversation, and I noticed that when the cousins come over, um, they all like to sit around that table and converse. And 
I just, and I love a round table. I can't say enough about the beauty of a round table inclusive. and so the way it encourages conversation. It, uh, when, when you mentioned then the, when we said, you know, at a, we have, a, we have a, another table that we can sit at for, before we set up for Christmas and Thanksgiving. And you're right, there's fights. And it's not necessarily the fight about who gets to sit next to us, but that is part of the fight. But what happens is we sit at one end and then the older kids sit by us, right? And then the little ones get stuck a little further down the table. And, and it's a long like, table. And they feel like they're not part of the conversation. That's right. And the That's meal right. is not as enjoyable for them because they feel like they're being left out. And um, You know what just a, occurred a, to me as what? you said that? What if this year when we have our, you know, our big Christmas dinner, what if you sat in one of the middle, you and I sat in the middle chairs? So just, you know, in Congress, that's interesting. When I was in Congress, when you do uh, an event, just you never, the member of Congress would never sit at the end of the table. You always sit in the middle of the table. When you have like a fundraiser or a yeah. meeting or whatever. Yeah, so you can talk to the left and the right side of the table. And yeah, across the, the table. Yeah. And if it was two of us, you, one would sit on one side in the middle, the other one sit on the other side of the middle of the table. So maybe that's a good idea. We'll sit in the middle of the table. We but then I'd that. feel like I'm giving up the patriarchy and I'm not at the head of the table. We could talk about that. We'll have more of this conversation after this. Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. I'm going to go with a, a hack that um, is a Rachel hack. And because our kids, you know, go to school really early in the morning, which means we have to get up really early to get them out the door. And oftentimes we'll make the, they, they don't, we pack their lunches. Mm -hmm. And so Rachel came up with a parenting hack to do their lunches the night before. That's not was, an incredibly, uh, I'm telling it's I'm, not I'm, an incredibly that's the only hack know, I've unique. Got. That's a hack I've got. I've stolen. It's a good one though. And it's made the morning easier. A lot of people will have their kids eat hot lunch at school. Ours are eating cold lunch. Because they don't have that option. They don't have a, Except one day a week, they have hot lunch. Great day. Thursdays are great in our house because we don't have to do a lunch. It's funny because I asked Patrick at dinner yesterday. I said, hey, um, what's the best thing that happened today? What's the worst thing that happened today? He was, the best thing was hot lunch. <laughs> <laughs> and then he went on to talk about the worst anyway, thing. Anyway, that's why I don't have a great hack, but there it is. I'll take yours. Oh, I know what the lunch. I know what the worst thing was. They have categories. You know, when you 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 are on the best behavior and good behavior, you're a role model. You have a your name, and it goes on a, this different chart. And he got moved to thinking about think about it, which means he has to think about his what behavior. his behavior. <laughs> and uh -huh. so I said, "Well, that's not good." And he goes, "No, no, that's good. I'm thinking about my behavior." <laughs> he, tried, he tried to position he's that in a positive. He's spinning it. He's spinning well it. Done. Um, okay, so this past week, we had a really great conversation. If you haven't heard it, it's really fun on um, and actually really insightful. Our daughter came on. She had just written an article about how Taylor Swift um, got the, the Time Magazine Award, the title for Person of the Year. For Person of the Year. Yeah. And that she and, and and my and the title said that you know the most insufferable person in the world became um, you know the Time Magazine Person this of the Year. This article, not Times article on. Right, Time didn't say that. <laughs> Time was Vita's celebrating article. Taylor uh, Swift. Evita was saying, "How did this the most insufferable person in the world get this award?" She had this great article explaining why she believes that there is a, actually a political motivation behind the celebration and the vaunting, vaulting, you know, putting her up on a pedestal of Taylor Swift um, because there's no explanation for just, I mean, the hype around her in terms of, and, and this is according to Avita's article, musically, it's not genius. Um, it, she, there's nothing to explain the absolute phenomenon that she's become globally. And her 
theory or her thesis in this article is that the uh, political establishment on the left likes Taylor Swift because Taylor Swift basically embodies that um, single woman leftist sort of very, very um, gullible and persuadable voter. And that she's like the symbol and the 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 the. the she embodies all of that. And so like, you know, you have a mass mandate, she's the first to do it. She, you know, dating the, the King of Pfizer, um, you know, the, the, what's his name again? Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey. That's right. Um, you know, she's a Democrat. She hates Trump. She, you know, campaigns against Republican, you know, candidates in Tennessee, Marsha Blackburn. You we did know, a whole all, podcast. On we did a whole yes. podcast on that. Okay. So she posts this, gets a lot of great response. Um, but one of the threads of the response was really interesting because people said, really, Taylor Swift is the most insufferable person in the world. What about and then they have this long list of everyone from Hillary Clinton to Rashida Tlaib to. So then the question just became, I thought it was interesting to ask, who is the most if it's not Taylor Swift, who is the most insufferable, who is the most insufferable person in the world. Now, the list included Kamala Harris. Um, I had a lot of, um, you know, Pete Buttigieg, yeah. who is truly insufferable. I, I, I have always said he's worse than um, Kamala Harris. Uh, but I I kind of came up with mine. I thought maybe you who's might want to. Who's the trans man in the military? What's what's his name, her name? Oh, she, he's not really an admiral. Are you talking about yeah, Rachel Levine? Yes. He is not really an admirable, an admiral. It's a man. Yeah. Who, who claims to be dresses over. up like a woman and they gave him like, you know, the way you get like an honorary degree if yeah. you're famous. He's the honorary admiral. He's an honorary admiralette, I guess. I don't know. Um, yeah, that, that's a good one, actually. I, I was going the Babylon Beat gave him the Man of the Year Award and they lost their minds. They, <laughs> yes, they wanted to cancel the Babylon Beat for that. Um, so, but on that point, so uh, I would agree. There probably are a lot more insufferable people than Taylor Swift, far more annoying. I agree. But they were not up for time person of the year. I mean, King Charles is insufferable. John Kerry, insufferable. Um, But who is the most insufferable person to you? Okay, I'm going to go with Kamala Harris. I mean, she is. You think she's worse than John Kerry? Yes. John Kerry is so much worse. Yes. I, I get what you say because he's such an elitist and he, he sneers down yes. at the, the minions of America that he's so much smarter than and so much better than. I get that. Uh, give but, me your top three because I, I do agree it's it's hard to pick just one. So Kamala. Uh, so yeah, Kamala's on the list. You bring uh, uh, who's the, the John Kerry? Who's the who's another Bill Gates? Bill Gates oh. is like. This beta male that wants to control the world. Um, I don't find him insufferable, Sean. I oh, find I him evil. Well, evil is insufferable. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll go with um, Patron Carey as well. I'll go with those three. Oh, yeah, that's, a, that's a good list, by the way. Even more, even more so than the, like, the squad members, like they really are insufferable. But they're just kind of stupid too. These, these, the, the these are real. This is real power. These, these. Yeah, these, I mean, that's why I would have. put some of the ones that you had there in the category of evil instead of insufferable. Insufferable to me is just like, like just annoying. Um, so I, I have Pete Buttigieg in there. You know, I, have, I, have, I just can't stand no, Pete. Pete Buttigieg. Pothole Pete. Um, Meghan Markle, totally insufferable. Ah, good one. Yeah, and I had a tie. Um, between um, Elon Omar and Michelle Obama. And the w- reason I picked Elon Omar is I can't stand people who aren't grateful. And yeah. Elon Omar won sort of the life, you know, the, you know, you can think about the movie Willy Wonka winning the Willy Wonka golden ticket. She got the golden ticket of, you know, being able to come to America. And, you know, she's sitting in a refugee camp, you know, somewhere in the, like Africa um, after, you know, her country is dissolved and her family almost died escaping this terrible violence. And she's sitting in this and she gets the golden ticket to come to the United States. And she ends up in one of the coldest places, but one of the with some of the nicest people True. in Minnesota. And I don't know how you meet Minnesotans and Midwesterners and not really truly love America because they are the heart and soul of America. Um, they used to be. It, well, but but, you know, 
some, there's some there's some say, there's some city dwellers in Minneapolis. The vast majority of Minnesotans get, out, get outside are good. Minneapolis. Get outside people. Get outside Dinah, um, and you're okay. Um, but in any case, she's around. She comes to the United States. She gets a great education through, you know, whatever, where she gets indoctrinated. But she's probably better school than she went to in Somalia, and she, um, you know, basically thinks America sucks. And I, I just find that kind of ingratitude. And that comes, I, I feel that way very strongly because my mom is, is uh, you know, the daughter of immigrants on my mother's side, um, on my grandparents' side. Uh, my mother is an immigrant. My grandparents were immigrants. And, you know, I think about my mom. My mom is the most patriotic person I know. She loves this country. Um, she was so grateful that she was able to come here and become an American when she married my dad, um, who was an American citizen. And she went through the citizenship process and just, she just loves America. And just, I, I can't imagine my mom becoming a congressman, a woman, and then using that perch to dump on the country, to dump on the country, to, to cause chaos the way she has with encouraging defunding the police. And now the Hamas riots. Um, I just think it's uh, the Hamas protest. I just, I, I just find her to be such an ungrateful human that I just can't stand. I find her acceptable. And then going to the but, second, but it, it does understand the problem in American education. She was yeah. taught to hate America. Yeah, she, she was, was taught that America was evil. If you just left her up, left it up to her own experience, she would have come through the refugee camp and come to this country and like most in her own heart would have probably been grateful. Yeah. But she was taught by these radicals in the school system to actually hate us yeah. and fight us. And what's scary is she's this is she's not the only one. That yeah. has been taught this. You have a generation of people who have been taught to hate this country. And we're seeing this now with the the, the, the radical support for uh, for Hamas and turning a blind eye to the to, to the October 7th attacks. Um, and I think more Americans are waking up to go. We this is the cancer in America. We do have to root it out. And I agree with you. Case in point would be Elon Omar. Yeah. Who's the one I said tied with? Oh, Michelle Obama. Another ingrate. I mean, mm. I feel like Michelle Obama has just lived the American dream in so many ways. And I know she wrote a thesis, you know, basically on how, you know, hard it is um, to be black in America. Um, I just think, you know, she wrote it from Harvard or Yale. I don't remember where she was. Um, this is the land of opportunity. And nobody embodies those opportunities more than the Obamas. And they continue to wreck the country um, as they profit from it as they you know um really from behind the, the curtain uh do a lot of damage i, I suppose that barack is as 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 guilty of that as michelle obama some people wanted to know about hunter biden uh you know the indictment came out you know we love talking about hunter but the question is do you think that the hunter biden uh, uh, indictments will cause joe biden sean to drop out of the race so good, really good question. Um, and the answer to that is no. So you've had the alphabet agencies of government who have been remarkably protecting Joe Biden. And it's been really clear to anyone, any American who pays attention to the political system that there is massive smoke. And we, yeah, we even had the fire with, with Hunter Biden. And the sweetheart deal that Hunter got uh, in Maryland, where he, he was not going to be prosecuted for any more crimes. He had a deferred prosecution agreement on the gun charge and was going to get misdemeanors for not paying millions of dollars in taxes. The judge blew that up. Whistleblowers then came forward and exposed the corruption of this deal with Hunter Biden. Well, the only reason that Hunter Biden is being treated differently is the power that his father has mm -hmm. and the fact that the left wingers in the FBI, the DOJ um, and the IRS want to protect their savior, Joe Biden, right. and his son. If Joe Biden doesn't run for reelection, that power goes away, which means that protection the protection racket goes that away had, yeah. for the Biden family. Interesting. And so if Joe Biden decides not to run, it's not just that he gives up power, which he doesn't want to give up. He's fought for this his whole life. He's actually going to be giving up the protection that his family has been getting from government. So instead of instead point. of stepping out of government, Joe Biden has to run that much harder 
to try to win re-election so we can continue with the protection because we're just scratching the surface with with Hunter Biden. By the way, but it's, it's such a it's such a great point, Sean. So if there were people in the Democrat Party, because there's a lot of Democrats who don't want Joe Biden to win, if they thought, I mean, I'm sorry, to run, um, if they thought that the this indictment might you know, scare him from a campaign. I mean, it, it, it's, it's sort of counterintuitive in a way because you have scandal, you go, oh, I better not run. That's going to, you know, the scandal is going to surround me. But if the scandal is this big and to the point where you need these agencies to do the dirty work and protect your family from what normal people, if you, if you don't run, you suddenly become an, an average Joe, no pun average intended. Um, and, and, and an average Joe would be in jail by now. All the, uh, there's no question about it. Um, an average person would be in jail for this kind of money laundering, these shell companies that not paying taxes um, on millions of dollars, um, th- th- all of these things that they've done, uh, uh, gun charges. So, yeah, you're, it's interesting. And, and so it's, this will cause him to run. Yeah, so that's and, a good and, answer and, to and, the question. And just to, to note, the, a lot of the money that uh, Hunter Biden made from Burisma, uh, the Ukrainian energy company. Yeah. The Department of Justice let the statute of limitations run on those charges. So so Hunter Biden's not being charged for the Burisma money and not paying taxes on the Burisma money. Um, this the, these allegations, these these this indictment goes back to 2016, 17, 18 and 19. So the allegations are six years old. No one doesn't pay their taxes for a year, two years, three years, and the IRS just sits back and is like, well, we'll see what comes up here. Maybe we'll maybe we'll send you a letter. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll prosecute you. No maybe we won't. With that. You get prosecuted like a month after you lie on your tax form or you don't report income. Mm-hmm. This is six years down the road. Um, and it's only because of Gary Shapley. He was the IRS whistleblower who said, listen, uh, the corruption inside of the IRS and the Department of Justice and how this is being handled is real. The House Republicans then, you know, did hearings on this. And so the, when, when light was shown on the corruption of, of how the agencies were handling Hunter Biden, I think they felt pressure. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, we have to charge him. Um, do I really believe in their hearts they're really happy about this? No, they're not. And the question is, will they follow the leads that will lead them to Jim Biden, Joe's brother, and to Joe Biden himself? I don't know the answer to that. I hope they follow all the evidence, um, but that is yet to be seen. Very, very interesting. Um, it's it's going to be an interesting election. It, it, speaking of that, there was the debate. Uh, you and I did the post debate. Did you host? Um, I hosted it on Fox Nation. I had Sean. I had Will Kane, um, and Jimmy Fela, and we had a really interesting discussion. And in the discussion, we kind of went around and said, "Okay, who won the debate? You know, who who are, who are the winners? Who are the losers?" Um, Will Kane said that he thought Ron DeSantis was the winner and Vivek was the loser. And we were at odds because I, I, I thought clearly Vivek won. I, I was so impressed with him. And but everyone felt like he was really annoying. Clearly, the press thinks he's really annoying. Um, you have, you know, Van Jones on CNN saying, I'm scared of him. I feel like we're, he's just inches away from spouting Nazi propaganda. That's what Van Jones said. He said, I shudder when I when I hear him, I shake. I was shaking when I was listening to him because I realized he was going to be on the political stage, you know, for the next 30 years. And that part of his statement is actually true. I have to tell you, Sean, I'm I, I, obviously I don't think that Vivek is going to win this election. I don't I don't think even if something happened to Donald Trump, that he would be the next one to win. But I have been really intrigued with how he has resonated with conservative young people. We have young, you know, adults, children. I've spoken to other young adults. Um, Vivek Ramswamy really does an amazing job of articulating the distrust that so many Americans, but especially so many young Americans have with the system, with these three letter agencies that you're, you were just talking about that were doing the bidding of the, of, of the Joe Biden administration with the, the health departments in our government who, you know, took away our constitutional rights and forced everyone to take um, experimental, you know, vaccines um, or else lose their job and not be able to feed their families. I mean, we have been through, I mean, so much just constitutional trauma um, over the last, 
you know, few years that have been just really laid to bear for us. And I think yeah. that the the sort of business as usual politicians like Nikki Haley, for example, and even Ron DeSantis on some moments, although I think Ron DeSantis is truly an America first um, candidate. But he, he does sort of his style is sort of the old school style. Um, the aggressiveness of Vivek, in my opinion, Sean, was very so was I, very appealing. And maybe I'm crazy. <laughs> so as someone who's run for office before, um, it's and again, someone who's when I first ran, it's like you don't, you're trying to grapple with all the issues and make, make sure you don't step on landmines. Um, and that can make you just not the best communicator. And what I find so interesting to, to look at Vivek Ramaswamy, um, he studied the issues. He knows the issues. He's really smart. He's really well-spoken. And he seems not to care about landmines. So he is, when you ask him a question, he doesn't have to think about how I'm going to answer it and what could a landmine be and what's the press going to say about it. He's just giving his authentic answer to questions. Um, and that's why he's, he's just, because yeah. he knows the stuff. Um, and I think that is really refreshing. Not, it's not just that he knows the stuff, Sean. He actually said, I would rather lose telling the truth and win by not being, you know, authentic about how I feel about something. And I love that you brought up how, like, how hard it is to campaign because the media is so dishonest. I remember you once telling me, you know, the, you would do town halls in every single county that you were a, a congressman and it was, was really hard work at 26 counties. And you went to every, you know, county and gave every a town year, hall. Yeah. And wherever you went, obviously they were going to be, you know, the press was going to be there ready to dissect what you said. And, and you told me once, you know, the hardest part is you have to not just think about what you're going to say, but if the way I say it can be dissected and diced into, you know, something that it, the press or your opponent's opposition research group can construe and take out of context and suddenly you look like something that you're not. And that is a really complicated and difficult thing to do. And I think one of the things that I do love about Donald Trump and and um, Vivek Ramaswamy and, is that I think we're in a new era where it's like to hell with it all. Just say it like it is. If you want to, you want to call me a racist, call me a racist. If you want to call me misogynist and binders uh, so of women or whatever, go for it. Um, you know, war on women, war on this. It's like, forget it. I'm just going to say what I think and the people get it. And if you and the media and the elites want to use it to rip me apart, uh, you know, go and, for and, it. And on that point, Rachel, if Nikki Haley was like, you know what? I did say that parents, if they want to transition their kid at 14, they should. Well, own that statement on the on the yeah. debate stage instead of saying that you multiple times really. in media uh, yeah. releases and then at the Republican debate, be like, well, That's you're great. lying about me. I didn't say that. It's like, well, be honest. Um, if you really believe that. Tell us that you believe that, because that's important to me. I don't I mean, I don't think that parents can allow their kids to have sex at 14 and they can't allow their kids to transition at 14. Just I just that's my view as a parent. But uh, yeah. just two points on the debate. Um, I thought the, the, the part that was not talked about enough was Nikki Haley was asked about the economy. They had one portion about the economy and housing. And when the question came to her, she was like a deer in headlights. She gave the most rambling, nonsensical answer that I of all the candidates. She was horrible. And the number one issue that people have right now mm. when you pull them is they're concerned about inflation. They're concerned about the economy. They're fearful of what's coming in 2024 and how it's impacting their lives. Mm -hmm. And that Nikki Haley couldn't come up with a good answer on the economy. As and she's an accountant. She had well, an account. Like, listen, an accountant, you're you're you're. She's not an economist. She's an accountant. No, but I mean, she understands the numbers. I mean, more than the average person. Uh, well, Wouldn't you say an accountant no, would understand the numbers really. more than the average person? In, in the debate, uh, it didn't appear that she understood right. that at all. Agreed. Um, and I thought that was a huge... But by the way, Nikki Haley uses the fact that she's an accountant to say... America needs an accountant in the White House because we're spending too much money, blah, 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 blah. Have you, say, have you I, just, I, love, I love my accountants. They're great. <laughs> they do a lot of good work. I don't know many accountants, but... I don't, because I do the taxes, so I, I know the accountants. I mean, I'm impressed with accountants because it's like the one part I'm of my life I want nothing to do with. I love accountants, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want them as my, as my, uh, as my president. One of the, I just want to mention Ron DeSantis. Mm -hmm. I, on our podcast, and I've told you personally, I have not been the biggest fan uh, of Ron DeSantis. I knew him in Congress. I did not think he was... Personable. Yes. Thank you for saying that for me. Um, for some reason, this is the fourth debate. I've warmed up to Ron. And there's something about his record 
and he's not he's not the he's not the flashiest guy he's not the friendliest guy he doesn't have a personality made for the national stage he doesn't but he has a record made for the national stage he sure does um and sure for does. some reason i've i've just really grown to respect what he's done in florida and i'm warming up to him because of that now listen i still think donald trump is is right but he's become your goat he's he's the guy if not Trump, I, I've kind of come to DeSantis, even though I love which Vivek. is what these debates are about. The debates are Vivek if something happens to Trump, who is it? Who is it? And for me, too, I I I love Vivek. But I think he's too young. He hasn't done it. And, and but he hasn't been in Congress before. One of the things I learned from Trump, Sean, is that, you know, when you come, there, there's something amazing about having an outsider. I mean, I love that idea. And and a businessman. And Vivek is a businessman. Um, no question about it. A very successful one. And I like that someone who thinks like that and i'm sure on an iq level like i'm sure vivek you know is has a really high iq he's a smart dude but when you don't know all the traps and the deep state and 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 the people um it is really easy to be taken for and i think in the first administration in donald trump's um you know early years he ended up bringing on to his administration, his cabinet, and, and many important key positions throughout the government. Some really bad people yep. that had bad intentions that did not like him, that were actually actively undermining him. And so I would, I'm very wary about somebody that green. I, so- There's been a progression, Rachel. But, uh, but, I, but I agree with you, Sean. If something happens and Donald Trump can't do it, and I'm going to tell you that's going to be a very sad day in America. I really believe the only person who can save us at this point is Donald Trump uh, because there is nothing they can throw at this point. There's nothing they can throw at him that he can't take. There's that's we right. know everything about him. He has been, you know, dissected in every way that, you know, any candidate has ever had. You know, there's nothing they can do to him anymore. They've done it all. And if he survives this latest, you know, gauntlet that they have for him, um, he's he is indestructible. And so that's my first choice is Donald Trump. But short of Donald Trump, it is Ron DeSantis. And he has a record. And by the way, it was on these social issues. People go, well, who cares about the social issues? I care about the social issues. But the, the strength it took to take on those social issues, you know, the, the university that he started in Florida, Sean, with Chris Rufo, really important moment um, in taking, you know, it's small, small thing, but the first most important step in taking back our education system at the higher, at, you know, the hi- higher education system, um, the way he's expanded school choice, the way he's taken on curriculums and, and all kinds of third rails. He's the guy, not, n- not Nikki Haley, who I believe is beholden to whoever will get her into power. So uh, what I think is and she's a warmonger that that the media has had a progression. They started with Ronald Reagan and he's so stupid and it got worse for George Bush and then it got even uh, worse for Donald Trump. But even the, the, the media loved John McCain. John McCain became the nominee for the Republican uh, uh, Party and they skewered him. Yeah, it's true. They, they 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 might like anybody right now, but but Trump. They like Nikki Haley. If Nikki Haley was the nominee, they would absolutely destroy her. And, and what I fall back on is who's going to be able to take everything the media and the Democrats are going to throw at this candidate, right? Can Nikki Haley handle it? Can Vivek handle it? Maybe. I don't know. But I know Ron DeSantis can. I think Ron has Ron has stood up to the machine, the leftists in Florida. Now, leftists in Florida are different than the leftists you know, nationally. But um, I think he has the best record of standing up and fighting for what he believes in and what we conservatives believe in more so than uh, anyone other than Trump. And we know that Trump, they've again, they've they've thrown everything at him, lied about him, Russia Mm -hmm. collusion. They've prosecuted him. They've impeached him. They're going after, you know, his businesses and his money. And he's still standing and fighting for us. But if not, if not Trump, then I do think Ron is the next best choice of someone who can weather the coming barrage of attacks that will hit him if he was And it's not just the attack, Sean. It's like, once they get in, what will they do? I think Ron DeSantis is America first. I think he has the right instincts. I think Nikki Haley has a lot more globalist um, instincts. I think she's much more, would be more susceptible to be beholden to to influences, whether it's, you know, it's from BlackRock or the WEF or even like, you know, even this, I mean, even on this easy step on trans. If you're going to take money from Larry Fink, um, it doesn't it doesn't speak so much about you personally taking his money, but it says, "What does Larry Fink think about you? 
Larry Fink is the is the head of BlackRock, and he's the one that's pushing ESG on the world. And I guarantee you, if Nikki Haley wasn't there, would Larry Fink give money to Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump or Vivek Ramaswamy? Never. There, but by the way, just because someone gives you money doesn't mean you do what they say. Well, that's, that's what she says. So that's, it's in, that's the point I want to make. She says, hey, they are interested in what I have to say. I'm not listening to what I'm not doing their bidding. And she's right. And she's right. And that's what's scary is that Larry Fink looks at Nikki Haley and says, I like where you're at on these on these issues. Exactly. I like your positions. That should frighten every conservative. If Larry Fink likes her and I hate Larry Fink, I'm like, well, if you like her, I bet I don't like her because you're trying to destroy America with your uh, ESG movement, your DEI movement, um, your socialist takeover of corporate America and force all these things you know, onto the businesses that are trying to make mm-hmm. money, but you want them to be social engineering yeah. institutions. That is what freaks me out. And when, they, when if Larry Fink gives you money, Sorry, you can take it. But if he's giving you money because of your policies, that's a huge problem. That, and that I don't think, about I, and I don't, I don't think that was really pointed out it. well on the debate stage. Huh? That I don't think the other candidates pointed that out well enough on the debate. I, stage. I agree. No, I think that you reframed it in the way that made sense to me, because when she tried to defend herself, she, she did a good job and she was ready for that yeah. attack. But what you're saying is even better, um, is, is, is actually more revealing that. Larry Fink likes you, says all I need to know about you. Um, when she failed on the trans, like when her she was on a liberal network, they asked her about the trans issue and she, her instinct was, well, whatever. cut the baby here. And yeah. I think parents should decide. I think it's up to the parents. And um, of course, that was going to win her some favor with, you know, maybe liberals on this network but her instinct as a woman and as a conservative woman and as a mother i mean the trans movement is doing so much damage not just physically to kids as we know they're mutilating them they're confusing them they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff but it's also doing a lot to erase women and the place of women and the, the unique contributions that women make to humankind beginning with the fact that you know we are essential to continuing the human race. Uh, we are not equal to men. Men can't become women. These are you know, basic biological facts. And as a woman and as a conservative woman, that we have a conservative, so-called conservative woman on that presidential stage. And she was the one who wasn't standing up for women. That said a lot for me. Um, so so, there, so there's, there's that, of course. We'll be back with much more after this. Should we do one more question yeah. that we've had? Okay. Let's do one more. Do you want to do, um, here's, this is interesting. Do you think that intergenerational living should become more normalized given the state of the economy? Um, I think that it's the state of the economy is probably going to accelerate in some households that you see a lot of kids, especially who might be, have flown the nest under a different economy that are coming back and living in their parents' basements or their old bedrooms uh, because they can't make it. Um, or you're seeing a lot of, um, you know, you're seeing a lot of that. But the, the actual intergenerational living that used to be back in the day, Sean, where, um, and it didn't necessarily have to mean inside of the home. It meant that your mom lived, you know, down the street, your sister lived down the street, and you were all able to help each other in different ways. Um, I think that that is something that is really damaging to families. I think I've seen it in your family, how beautifully it is that beautiful that so many people live. You have 10 brothers and sisters, the vast majority of them live within a few miles of each other um, in that town. They're able to help your parents in, in in a really beautiful way. We have had my parents um, over the years live with us for, you know, one, two, three, even six months at a time and and had that um, kind of intergenerational living. Not only is it good for family bonds, but I think that there's a lot of wisdom being lost um, when when the older generation um, is raising, helping to be involved in the lives of the younger generation. There's a lot of wisdom that gets passed on. But when you live 400, 500 miles away, you just kind of figure it out on your own. And you end up making some, you know, rookie mistakes that you wouldn't make if you had 
somebody from a prior generation living near you to kind of guide you and, and give you advice. Yeah. So w- when I was growing up, my my uh, dad's mother, um, Eva, lived a couple blocks away from us, and right a block away from her was her uh, her sister, our, our aunt Amy. And um, every Sunday after church, and by the way, most of her kids lived in our hometown of Hayward, and they all go to her house for coffee after church. Um, and oftentimes they'd stop by and see her at all different times during the week. And it was really good for her. Um, the social interaction is she, she lived to be about, like, I think 96 years old. Um, and again, she was a, she gave advice. She gave counsel. She, you know, that's really, was really helpful to have her there. Mm. And even now my brother, uh, six of my brothers and sisters all live in my hometown of Hayward. And there's a lot of help that they offer. Yeah. Uh, my mom and dad in advice, uh, in counsel. And so, yeah, I, I, and I think you make a really good point. Intergenerational living doesn't have to be where you're all living in the same house. That can be really wonderful. And a lot of people are homesteading now. Yeah. They're trying to figure out ways to do that. But if you're living in the same community, in the same neighborhood, I think that's really helpful. And you, you just, I mean, look back 80, 100 years, you know, people, we didn't have the, the ability to travel. So people stayed close to home. They didn't, they didn't go off to the city. They didn't, you know, travel halfway across the country for a job. They stayed pretty close to the, to the, to the, to the neighborhood and the schools in which they went. Um, with travel now, people can go all over and they have. And that separation because of this advancement in travel technology um, has had an impact on, on the family. And I do think it's important to recognize what is the best way to do it. And sometimes that doesn't work, but all things being equal, if we can live by each other, if we can help each other out and, you know, have a, 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 a tribe, a unit, a, a group that kind of fends for and helps assist in those difficult times in our life and also the fun times. Mm-hmm. I think it's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's what we want to strive for. You know, I think about... Um, they measured anxiety levels, you know, for, for moms, you know, has increased over the decades. And it's, it's obvious that probably the biggest factor is the lack of that support system. When you have your siblings living around you, your parents living around you, um, that kind of built in family support system is, um, it's first of all makes makes having kids a lot more affordable, right? Um, to get some help every now and then, you know. And when you have multiple kids, you can you go pick up so and so because I got to go run so and so to this game, or I got to, you know, do this or that. Um, that kind of you know cooperation between families, um, I think it's it's added to a lot of stress that women don't have that. And I I think the idea of having a family and raising children was always meant to be you know a team sport and that team isn't just your partner your husband or your partner your wife it's also these other members of the family and i think a lot of anxiety a lot of alienation a lot of loneliness um has has breeded from the fact that we don't live the way we were intended which is frankly sean tribal even raising kids if if you don't live by your parents and you have kids you're reinventing the wheel. You're reinventing totally. parent parenthood, and you have no idea how to be a parent. Um, and we all, as new couples, we all reinvent parenting. We're all going to do it better than our parents. But to have someone there that actually has done it before, your own parents, to give you some advice and counsel, or to point out where they think you might be making mistakes, and you can take your parents' advice or not. But someone who has done it to look at your operation and go, "You're doing this really well," or "I think you're making some mistakes here." You have advice and counsel in raising kids. That's really helpful to raise better kids. But if you reinvent the wheel, um, it's a little challenging. And we say this all the time. Very imperfect uh, parents. uh, But we've gotten better because we've had so many kids. So we're almost like elder parents giving ourselves advice on the mistakes we made early on. And that's a real and that's a real benefit. But even now, I mean, I was I think I gave this this example before, but it's it's a really instructive one. Um, My mom and my mom and dad were 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 coming to our house and staying for a while and kind of you you can't help but watch how this operation works. Right. We got a big family and they're watching how the operation works. And my mom's like, why are you doing snack time after school? And then, and then clean that and then up. Cleaning that up. And then making dinner. And then making dinner. Your kids are starving after school. Yeah. Just give them dinner, and it's easier on you because you don't have to do snack time and then clean up that, and then dinner, and then it gets late in the evening, and they still have homework. Just when they come home, have everything ready, the table, and that's what I do. 
And we're but like, they come home, oh, the table is set, the food is done, brilliant. and we sit down to eat, <laughs> and that is done, and they're happier, and we haven't, and I get the immediate what's happening after school around the kitchen, around the you know the dinner table there, and then you know the, the then it's the cleanup, and and we're, we're basically done with cleanup and on to homework and bedtime, you know, by five thirty. I mean that is it a runs way better. It, it just it, and again that's just an operational thing, you know. Uh, but it, your mom was like, "What are you guys doing? What is going on here?" And then we're but like, also, "Yeah, what are we doing? This makes way more sense." Totally. Or they also can observe things in your children that maybe you have you 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 have a blind eye to for some reason. Um, there's just so much. There's so much mothering and parenting that gets passed on um, and and that is lost. And so much, I just think, wisdom that is being lost because of that. And that is why, Deep Tease, I'm going to address the motherly wisdom that is being lost because so many people I'm going to, I'm going to do a special series. It's all I'm going to say to deep tease. And, and that's all I'm going to say, but I'm going to do a special note on this podcast about recapturing that wisdom to continue the deep tease. I'm going to have to step aside and just let you do that solo. Yeah, it is. It, yeah. Yeah. But no, so um, again, this doesn't work for everybody, but just one last note on this, as we think about our own lives um, and as our kids are kind of going out and doing their thing, we want to find a place that we could be where they can all come back to. Mm-hmm. Um, we would like to be around each other. We love them. We've been, we raise we them. We think about this a lot. A lot. Um, it's like our it's like our favorite conversation. We want our kids to all live near us and near each other and, and near each other. And so we're trying to find where is that next place that we want to live that our kids will want to live that we can. We love this idea of a homestead. We do. And and so. We've talked about that before on the podcast, even. Um, but that is, and, and there are so many families that are coming. I think the craziness of the world, Sean, is bringing people back to the basics, and that because you you don't really you can't really trust our government anymore. You can't trust so many things. The only thing you got is what's right in front of you is your family. So how do you keep your family together? How do you stop all this alienation and separation that's happening? And maybe. Your family already lives in different parts. So now it's time to just go, okay, how do I do it for my own family? How do I change that pattern, that tradition, that whatever, and start thinking about where I want to plant my roots and put it in a place where my kids are likely to want to stay, stay near. So it's it's a different way of thinking because we've always thought of ourselves as part of different households, our parents' households. And now we've kind of realized we're the head of this household and we have to be the leaders and figure out where we get them all to go. Where do we get all the little chickens to congregate at? How to um, come back. And we don't, also, we, don't have, we don't have a great answer for it. Yet, oh, no, we're still working we it out. About, we're still uh, working it out. We think it's important. We think that's important in life. It, it also is about changing that that idea of like, we've. All, I think, especially in our generation, Sean, it's like you go where the job takes you. And that's how so many families end up living in different places. My own family included. All of my siblings, we all live in different places. Well, for us, like, we and came, I we, don't like it. And I don't came, like it at we, all. We came to New Jersey because that's where the job was. We're at Fox. And, we, and, we, and that's how we've all been doing it. Yeah. And now we're at a, I'm at a place where I'm like, I don't like that way of doing it. I want, I want to do it differently. I want to do it probably closer to the way that your family is doing it. I want to find a place um, that's not as cold <laughs> as Hayward, uh, but where my chickens can come home and, and live around me and we can take care of each other. And by the way, Sean, we talked about this in the last podcast. Um, as you get older, um, the nursing home situation is not good. The people that are the, the, the people that are coming in to take those jobs are often not as skilled as they used to be in the past. Uh, sometimes those places were run by nuns who had a you know religious vocation to the elderly um, and to nursing homes. And so now I don't I don't like the idea of nursing homes. I don't want to put my mom and dad in one. I don't want to end up in one. So my insurance plan, and I don't care who criticizes me for saying this, because I had a priest tell me it's called Mexican Social Security. I have nine kids. Um, I want, um, I hope, I hope uh, that I'll be taken care of. And, and I think that's yeah. taken care of by a family, not by some institution, um, not by strangers. That's, I think, the best way to grow old. And you lead by example by taking care of your parents. Yes. And they see that and they go, oh. 
that's what we're supposed to do as part of a family. So, so it's a great, great conversation. And again, we are excited about the, the, the Christmas season. We thought about taking more time and how do we structure it so we can really enjoy this time with our family. And it's, it's never perfect. Um, but again, we've, we've thought through that and are trying to be better about um, how we're maximizing the, the uh, wonderful magic of Christmas. So I want to thank you all for joining us at the kitchen table for questions on uh, Friday. Uh, some of your questions, some topics of the day, which we appreciate. If you like our podcast, you can rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. You can always find us at foxnewspodcasts.com. We would like you to subscribe. You get a notice every time we drop, which is Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Um, and until next week, thanks for joining us, everybody. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription and Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.